Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. Welcome to Montucky Skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. We're going to talk about Gene Wilder passing because I forgot to put it in my notes, and that was a huge oversight considering I've read like 10 articles today about it. I'm sad because he's gone, but I'm happy because he's, I mean, he lived a good life. Yeah. Well, kind of. Well, know, like, I, not putting it. <laughs> I mean, he's been through some shit. Like he was destroyed when Gilda Radner died. Yeah, and I was reading about that because his mother died of ovarian cancer as well. So when seeing Gilda go through that, just like his mother did, I mean, it really left a mark on him. Yeah. Yeah, and he was definitely a guy who stepped out of the spotlight and just I mean, he could have he could have had a few more years for sure, but he just stepped away and just kind of lived in seclusion it seemed like for yeah, a while. Enjoyed retirement, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see that with actors very often. Usually it's like forced retirement, you know. Yeah. Uh one of my favorite stories about Gene Wilder was uh I heard Mel Brooks talking about starting up Young Frankenstein with him. And uh, he wanted to direct it. And Gene Wilder was like, he's like, let me think about it. (laughs) 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 This is after, okay, this is after uh, 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 the Western that they did. The Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, obviously Mel Brooks is like the obvious choice. But he comes back the next day, he goes, okay. You can direct the movie if you're not in it. And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, you're a terrible actor. I don't want you in my movie. Because <laughs> this was like Gene Wilder actually wrote Young Frankenstein. And I think Mel Brooks helped on the second pass of the draft. Yeah. Um, but it was it, it's Gene Wilder's baby. And so, yeah, so it's one of the few Mel Brooks movies that Mel Brooks is not in just purely because Gene Wilder wouldn't let him. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. He was just so good at that neurotic. You know, and I was looking back through a lot of stuff he's done, and it wasn't over-the-top stuff he did that was hilarious. It was that passive-aggressive, like, neurotic that just was hilarious. Yeah, he was really good at letting anger build. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you could just see the anger boiling in him and him trying to contain it was where the majority of the comedy is. And then eventually he would yell at somebody, which would be the funniest part. But it was always that build up, you know, like like him and Richard Pryor. So great. great. Yeah. I think they did four movies together. And I, I know I've seen them all, but the one that always sticks out to me is See No Evil, Hear No That's Evil. That's the one I had in yeah. my mind. Like, I remember as a kid watching that a lot. I know Stir Crazy is a lot of people's favorites, and Stir Crazy is pretty funny, but I think See No Evil, Hear No Evil is my favorite. It was just so ridiculous. Like, I'll always remember the, the part where, like, Richard Pryor, like, he's blind, but he's like, he really doesn't seem to believe that that Gene Wilder is deaf <laughs> in a lot of parts. And they have this one part where like, he's just like, what about if I yell in your ear like this? And he's like yelling on the side of him. Gene Wilder's like, wait a second. I can hear. And he's like, really? And he's like, no, I'm deaf. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> so funny, man. 
And just the way that they set up everything, we're like, they're never communicating properly with each other <laughs> at any given moment, you know? Didn't they have, like, Richard Pryor driving with Gene Wilder giving him instructions at one point? Like, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's so great. While they're wearing handcuffs together or something like that. Yeah, and I think Kevin Spacey was, like, the douchebag villain in that one. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't, like, the main villain. He was, like, the the first boss. Yeah, because the main villain was also blind, and so he has a blind shoot-off, or, like... <laughs> pistol duel with Richard Pryor. <laughs> so I think like Richard Pryor shuts out the lights at one point and then realizes, oh shit, he's blind too. And he's actually practiced this. <laughs> yeah, Gene Wilder was a man. And of course, to me, the best movie he did is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, honestly, that's just the one that's still... I don't know. It, it like it, it. I loved it when I was a kid, and I've watched it with my kids. And it's still one of those movies that, like, it's one of those rare movies that I can turn it on, and everybody in the house will sit down and watch, and the phones don't come up. Yep. Like the phones not coming up is so hard to do with like a multi generational family anymore. It's just like you're going to see phones or tablets like pop up during most things, you know? Yeah, considering that movie's 45 years old, it's pretty holds up so well. And has a remake, which already feels super dated, and yet that one still holds, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of amazing that that movie still holds up, and Gene Wilder is, is the center of that. I mean, I know he's not technically the main character, but it all spins on him. Like if that performance isn't stellar, that movie falls apart and he absolutely nails it. You know, he's really good at doing that chiding thing without becoming a nag and just like being so dismissive of like horrible children, you know? (laughs) And then, so usually when he screams, it's used to great comic effect. But at the end of that movie, when he's yelling at Charlie, do you ever like start to tear up? A little bit. Yeah, I do every time because Charlie knows he fucked up. Like, Charlie fucked up. And, like, he's letting him know it. And you just feel so horrible. And then when, like, Charlie gives him back the gobstopper, it's just, like, so earned. And you can see it on Gene Wilder's face. Like, that. so I guess my point is, like, even though such a great comedic actor, that part had no comedy. Yeah. And that's like this that scene has tons of levity and tons of weight behind it, you know? Yeah. Did you ever hear the story about how or uh, why he saw like his one uh, caveat to doing that movie? No, I have no idea. He, Was uh, it Mel Brooks isn't allowed to act in it? <laughs> <laughs> the he agreed to be in the movie if he could do one scene and it's the scene where he, the children first meet him. And he's walking out with the cane as like a feeble old man. Yeah, yeah. And then the cane sticks in the cobblestone and he like falls down and then does a somersault and pops back up. Yeah, he said he wanted to do that that way. Like it was his one caveat to that movie because he thought that doing that scene would make it so nothing he did from that point on could, could be credible. Yeah. That's a, you know, I never thought about it at that point, but that's a really good point because he is pretty full of shit in that movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's really all just a test to find out who's going to take his chocolate factory, but he knows if he says that, it's all over. Yeah, because, you know, if you know what your expectations are, you're going to tell your attitude towards that. Yeah. And you won't get the true nature of how the characters are going to be. I guess theoretically, but then I'm thinking about those kids. No, well, they would have yeah. hung themselves. Maybe Charlie doesn't drink the bubbles with grandpa. <laughs> that would be the only, that would be the only thing. Cause Veruca salt is definitely going to be bratty. Like Augustus yeah, Gloop the- is definitely going to try and drink from that chocolate river. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not going to go well with that, no. that selection of kids. Yeah. Oh, wait. Is Veruca Salt the one who chews bubble She's gum? the one that chews bubble gum. Oh, no, no. That's Violet. Because he goes, Vi- Violet, you're turning Violet. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Veruca's the spoiled the brat. Yeah. yeah. What do you do when your child is a brat? Right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't know what time it is at. No, I'm just making up shit now. I don't remember the Oompa songs like I think I should. I always think I know one of them. And then, like, I hear the Oompa Loompa song, and I'm like, oh, shit. I, like, added two of them together and, like, made up a verse. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. The Oompa Loompa song. It's not like our buddy Greg, who literally had the Willy Wonka soundtrack on CD and jammed it a lot. (laughs) It's funny because my wife and I went as Oompa Loompas for Halloween. Zombie Oompa Loompas? We went as Oompa Loompas the first time, and oh, then we recycled right. them into zombie Oompa Loompas that's for right. the zombie walk. Yeah, that was great. I have I have pictures of the zombie one on my on my. Uh, um, if you go computer, really back but, in time on Facebook, yeah, you'll find my. I know I had a picture of the original one on the phone, like because I think you and Jesse sent me a picture. But I mean, that was like a few phones back. Yeah, and my photos never make it <laughs> on my phone. So, yeah, and it was uh, God, it was so much fun. It's funny because uh, we'd get like random people would like text me pictures, and it would be like me and my wife driving around town in our van, dressed like- as Opa Loompas. <laughs> <laughs> Just almost like they're stalking you or something. <laughs> That's amazing. Amazingly scary, actually, now that I think about it. Was there any other uh, uh, Gene Wilder movies that were particularly close to your heart? I mean, there's Blazing Saddles, of course. We touched on it very It lightly, was there. But. That one never, like, seemed to really, like, catch me out of all the Mel Brooks movies. I love that one. Like, I, I enjoy it, but it's not, like... My go-to for Mel Brooks. Yeah. So here's the thing. The reason why it's not my typical go-to is, like, I just don't want to play it in front of the kids. Yeah. Because it's, like, when they're adults, it's sort of like, okay. Now, keep in mind that they're making fun of racism in this, and then, you know, you can watch it, and it's fun. But, like, that's a tough one to watch with, like, kids. I, I can't. I can't do that, but God, it's funny. And I, I might've told this story in the podcast. It's a famous story, but, um, uh, Richard Pryor was one of the writers on it. Like it was four writers. It was Mel Brooks, Richard Pryor. And I can't remember the other two, but they decided to write a screenplay together. And then they decided they were going to write about a movie that would never get made. Right. So they make it this, like they make it racially charged, but they like take down racism in it. They're just like, there's no way somebody's going to make this. And then they just have scene after scene where it's just like, there's no way that you could do this in a movie. So they put this entire screenplay together and then they decide that they're going to try and sell it. And they managed to do it. And it would but, never get sold today. But the famous story is there's a scene with uh, Madeline Kahn where she's going with the black sheriff. And uh, she goes, is it true what they say about black men? And she turns out the light and she goes, it's true. It's true. <laughs> now, the story is Richard Pryor had a line in there that they, they tried and tried and could not get it past the studio. But when she goes, it's true. It's true. He goes, lady, will you get your mouth off my arm? <laughs> <laughs> And I guess Richard Pryor was supposed to play the sheriff in that. And then he had his uh, burning his hair <laughs> incident happen. So, Did you know that that was actually an attempted suicide? Um, I don't. So I watched a, a pretty in-depth documentary on, on Richard Pryor, and they talked about that a lot. And it just sounded like he had been up for days and didn't like was so out of his head. I mean, I could buy that, but it's like... It just seemed like he was completely out of his mind on crack at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, he was... Richard Pryor was fucking crazy. Like, Cocaine's when, a hell of a drug. Yeah. Like, when he wasn't on stage and stuff, he had some demons for sure. And that was kind of what made him a great comic, I think, was that he was so willing to just open up and talk about all this shit. Like if you've, I, there's a lot of people who like you've seen like his TV specials or whatever. Like that live on the Sunset Strip is like a classic. It's hilarious, right? 
but a lot of people haven't actually gone and listened to his albums and I've listened to like three or four of them and they're fucking they're compelling like sometimes it's not funny it's just like compelling because he's talking about things when he was a child and uh like his he was basically grew up in a whorehouse and like his his grandmother was the madam of it and I don't think he knew his mother and so it's just like he has all these crazy stories about it, but it was all true. Like he wasn't making it up. It was all stuff that really happened. And he just had like a flair for telling the stories, you know? And that's probably what made him such a great team with Gene Wilder was the fact that he had he had those that like anger in him, you know? And Gene Wilder had that like boiling anger that would raise to the yeah. surface. So it was it was I mean, sparks just flew when they were on screen together, you know, because they had the same kind of energy and they were so good at feeding each other on it. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of weird to look at it nowadays because they really did push race, race relations in a positive direction for years. I, I think so. I mean, the thing was, is like that Richard Pryor's thing was like, he wanted to talk about race. It bothered him so much and he wanted to talk about it. And Gene Wilder was the perfect foil for him because he was willing to go there. Yeah. You know, and he was willing to do the, like he was so good at playing the unintentionally racist white guy. You know what I mean? Like he does it a lot in those movies. And I feel like it was something that wasn't fully appreciated at the time. But when you go back and watch it, He's totally there and it's not an act like it's it's intentional things that he's doing that that feed that when he's with Richard Pryor, you know, and that's that's another reason why they work so well. They just they understood what the other one was doing and complimented it, you know. Yeah. That's not something you see with a lot of actors. Sometimes they're trying to steal scenes from each other, you know. Uh they were <laughs> they were very good at like feeding each other and making each other better, I feel like. Yeah. The only other movie that in my like wheelhouse would be the producers. Oh, that's such a great movie too. It really is. It's not. It's it's one of those ones that like it's surprising how many people haven't seen it. Considering like most people know about it because of the play, and yeah. then you know they remade it, the movie with Will Ferrell and and uh, Nathan Lane, but they were doing the play as a movie. I think. Yeah, it was. Well, it was Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. Was it? Oh, oh uh, Will, Will Ferrell, Ferrell was, Nazi was the Nazi. Yeah, that's right. It's I only saw it once and it didn't really make a huge impression on me. But I love that movie. I mean, it's just hilarious. Make the worst movie <laughs> with the worst actors off of the worst play, so that they can lose a bunch of money and actually get money through insurance, and it all just goes to <laughs> shit. <laughs> it just gets destroyed. Was there any other Mel Brooks movies he did with them? I'm trying to think. There's The Producers, there's Young Frankenstein, there's Blazing Saddles. I think it was just those two. Three? Three. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. It just almost seems like if they were in a fourth one that I forgot, I wouldn't be surprised, but... I don't know. You know, I've never actually sat down and watched High Anxiety. He's not. He's not in that? No. Okay. <laughs> Just had to throw that out there. That's one of the ones I have. I've seen, like, scenes from it, but I never got a chance to sit down and watch it in its entirety. Did you ever watch The Frisco Kid with uh, no. Harrison Ford? No, I don't think I saw that one. I have never seen it. And Is Gene I'm, Wilder in that, too? Gene Wilder and uh, Harrison Ford. Huh. No, I think I'm going to have to make that a point to watch that. Because that's uh, one, because I looked at his uh, IMDb list, and it's one that's like, I've I've heard of it, but I've never been exposed to it. Who does he play in Blazing Saddles? Who's that? Gene Wilder. He plays the uh, the drunk. Yeah, yeah, but is is it the Frisco Kid? Is that like a sequel? I don't know. He plays the something kid. I mean, I'm sure he's got a different name, but it's the something kid. I'm sure of it. He plays Jim. So they're not given the nickname of him. That's all it says. Yeah. Oh, well. 
<laughs> but I'm sorry, I got to go back to Blazing Saddles for a second because we were talking about it. One of my favorite things is uh, this was also something that Richard Pryor wrote for it. Um, <laughs> like Richard Pryor wrote all the Mongo scenes, which are basically just Looney Tunes. Like when you really boil it down. And I always love the line where he goes, Mongo is just pawn in game of life. <laughs> like it's just like... <laughs> I love him just prodding like, it, I don't know. I, I love that. Just something about that temperament with a giant like doofus. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, I was, you know, it's it's interesting that we're talking about Mel Brooks right now because I was just listening to an interview with Max Brooks, which I thought I should totally bring this up for the podcast because at the beginning of the interview on The Nerdist, he talks about um, uh, his book, uh, World War Z. World War Z. Yeah, World War Z. Yeah, and he, you know, they were asking him like, "What was it like? Like, what was it like for you the way that they did that?" Because he's like, you know, like you wrote the book and they base it off. He said they had nothing to do with them whatsoever. And uh, he said in a weird way it was easier to watch it because usually when you watch something that's close to what you wrote and they don't get it and quite you don't, right, you're... it kills you. But he's like, this wasn't at all what I wrote, so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, that's an interesting way to put it because it's so awful, awful what his source material was. That it, it wasn't like watching a train wreck of your story. Yeah. And it was interesting because he was also talking about the movie 28 Days Later because the World War Z movie had fast zombies, right? And so he was talking about that and he's like, you know, I don't think about these things like most people do because when they said it was a virus, not a zombie, they were like, you know, we'll just wave from the starve out. And he's like, if that's the case, then they're going to die from dehydration in three days. He was like, the guy wakes up from a coma in like four days and it's over already. <laughs> <laughs> Like they all died out. So I thought that was an interesting perspective because he's kind of right. They didn't seem like they were forward thinking enough to drink water. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a pretty good point. That's definitely a dude who thinks about these things, you know? Yeah. Did you ever read the uh, his first book, The Zombie Survival Guide? Yes. Yes, I have it. I read that. I made it a point to read that before I read World War Z. Um, and it turns out that you don't have to do that at all, but no. it is fun because it's referenced a few times. It is referenced a few times. And I thought it was just kind of an interesting book just to read as far as, cause it gives a lot of tips for survival in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember reading something like, uh, about filling the bathtub with cold water and I was like, oh yeah, that that's, we learned that with like, um, like when there's going to be tornadoes or something like tornado warnings, you're supposed to see that. And the reason is now you have a bunch of fresh water for a while in your gross bathtub, but still it's better than having no water at all, you know? And it kind of made me laugh because Bill Simmons was talking about something with that. And he's like, what is just in case you wanted to take a bath It's like, no dude, that's, that's what people do for survival, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it is like an interesting book, and it has interesting tips for zombies that make sense. Like, destroy the stairs. Yeah, you know, like if you destroy the stairs, they can't get up to you. So that makes sense to me. Unless they start piling up to a point where they can ladder up the <laughs> like stairs, like World War Z, <laughs> the movie. But even slow moving zombies can reach Eventually, that point. Yeah. Yeah, but if they, there's enough, they also they also like have to have enough to get into the house and push away past and not get distracted by something else. Like, I feel like if that's the case, you could just throw a rock at a window across the street and you'll be fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what do I know? I've never survived a zombie outbreak before. <laughs> Hopefully, never will. Because as I've said on the show before, I would be fucked. Like, I yeah, I, I, kids, dude. Kids just ruined it, right? There. Any fantasy you have about the zombie apocalypse, if you're a parent, just ruins it. Because how are you going to keep your kids safe? Yeah, and I have a a drug-dependent child. that I would be screwed in the zombie apocalypse. 
Yeah, that's when they always introduce them into there where they don't have adrenaline or whatever. And it's just like right away you're like, oh, they're not going to make it. There's not enough fridges around or like hospitals that you can get to. Hospitals would be like the worst place to go. Yeah. Insulin is probably really hard to come by in a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's definitely a It's not something resource. you can make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't just like pop open somebody's adrenaline gland and suck on it like Hunter S. Thompson style. <laughs> that's That's not going to happen. <laughs> You have to find some prepackaged stuff. <laughs> Maybe there is a book on that. I bet if you looked on the internet, some sick fuck found a way to like mine adrenaline from somebody. I've found ways to like make insulin, but it's not something you can do very easily. Yeah. Not something you probably want to risk your child on either. <laughs> Hey, guess what, Shan? We're going to save like $2,000 making this homemade insulin. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. No. There's some things you should leave up to the professionals. Um, okay, so have you heard of the night of it all? I've heard of it and no idea what it's about or any other details so this is the show that i've been meaning to bring up for the last five weeks and kept forgetting but i made sure to put it on some notes today because it had the finale on sunday it is incredible it's this mini series that's on hbo um james james gandolfini it was his passion project and apparently he filmed the pilot and it seems to be unknown so far whether they saved parts of the pilot and then refilmed other parts or if they just refilmed it completely after he died because he was the one of the main characters and of course he died so he wasn't able to finish it and so they brought in um uh oh jeez the Jesus <laughs> don't fuck with the Jesus oh uh uh god i can't think of his name how many times have i said that on that on this podcast like god i can't think of his name probably around 70 or 80 Turturro. Yeah, John Turturro. And so he plays this lawyer who basically... Okay, he has this weird foot thing going on, and it's not contagious, but his feet are just, like, peeling and awful, and he has to wear Birkenstocks because he can't he can't wear shoes. It'll just... It'll make it worse, and it hurts his feet. And so everybody's disgusted by it and horrifying, horrified by it. And he's, like, always got this big stick that he's, like, scratching the bottom of his foot on and stuff. And then at a certain point, his doctor's telling him, you got to put this Crisco on your legs and then put these bags on your legs. And so he's walking around with, like, Ziploc bags on his legs with Crisco all over his feet. Ziplocking it. Through New York City, man. <laughs> Uh, so this is like the lawyer who is way out of his depth getting into a murder case. Um, the main character is this new actor playing a character named Nas and he's incredible. And this character, you really feel for him. Like it just, this show has a great way of just exploring everything with like race, um, in, in the prison system, it's really good at talking about these little things that you don't think about with prison. Like when you go to jail and then you go like you're going to prison, like on your way there, there's like a transfer station that you just have to sit in for a long time. Like you never see it on TV and they have a whole episode where he's just stuck in there and like the things that happen in there. It talks a lot about what you have to do to survive in prison. And it's not all like tropes, like getting raped in the shower, although that certainly comes into play, or getting shanked. But just the things you straight up have to do to make it. And so by the time you go to trial, you know, like this guy has tattoos by the time he goes to trial. Like he inadvertently sits in on on some really bad shit. Like he has to smuggle drugs. He has to do all these things just to make it in prison. So that he can, you know, get out of prison. And it's just crazy. Like this, it's eight episodes. It's self-contained. They're not doing a second season or anything. It's just a mini series. And it's really well done. I mean, like it really makes you think. It's very artistic. The acting is very good. Um, 
they have a lot of weird meta things that's going on to people who are watching like crime shows. Like they have this cat that uh, Turturro like basically adopts and they kind of drive home at the end of it that, you know, after this guy goes free and all this, but like just it's his life is fucked. Like his life is completely fucked. Everybody's life who's involved in this is not for the better at the end of it which is like an indictment on the justice system. Then you just see all this horrible stuff and then you see the cat's still okay. And it fills your heart with warmth and then you realize like, oh, they're doing that because they're pointing out that people care more about cats than they care about people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's operating on a couple different levels. It's just incredible, man. I can't I can't talk enough about it. Like I could tell you beat for beat everything that would happen and it's still if you watched it you would experience it in a really amazing way I think because it's done so well like it's just it elevates everything it does so it's not like a super original plot or anything but they find these little nooks that they explore in the story and they find this way to tell the story to make it really um, gripping and like I said it's it's got these levels man like there's like the surface level which is you know could read like part of law and order or something and then you have that meta level going on which i dig it man it's real good so check it out if you get a chance what was the name of it night of the night of yeah it's eight episodes i'll be honest when they were doing commercials for it i was just like i'm not fucking watching that like they didn't show a lot on the commercials but i was like this is just like i'm not i'm not one that's into like murder mysteries or things like that you know crime procedurals and uh like basically I just heard so many good reviews after a month that me and my wife like binge watched the first four episodes and then we were in like every Sunday night at seven we've been in front of the TV watching it so yeah my mom likes it too my mom probably recommends it and they don't sugarcoat things at the end either like you don't this is something I'll throw out there because I mean choose your own adventure like if you don't want to get spoiled I guess don't listen to this part but like they don't really tell you who does it in the end. They give you an idea, but they have they have three red herrings, but who are the red herrings? You just don't know for sure. They give you a pretty good idea of one person, but you never see him killer. Like you never see they they don't give you that satisfaction of the information that you couldn't know, you know? Like they don't yeah. do that flashback scene, which I appreciated too that they leave it open because it is open to interpretation. You could believe that maybe he did kill her and he got off, and there's like skeletons in his closet where you're like, it's possible, you know. And they have the other the, the other three guys who might have killed her, and like it's you can make a case for any of them. You really could. So it's 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 a good movie. I don't know. I really dug it. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> Enough about Night of. Um, did you hear any of the comic book news? Not really. So, apparently Deathstroke is going to be in the Justice League movie. Ben Affleck like tweeted out a um like a video of Death like a person in a Deathstroke comic uh costume walking towards the camera. So, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I know I know you're a big Deathstroke fan from like Arrow, right? If if it's anywhere as good as they did Deathstroke and Arrow, I'm all over it. Well, let's be honest, it's a DCEU, so no. <laughs> no, it's not going to be. It's going to be hot garbage. No, I'm kidding. It might be good. I don't know. I'd still hold out hope. I, I'm holding good. out hope at this point. I feel like Suicide Squad was better. It definitely had a lot of stupid things in it and holes, but it was better. Yeah. So maybe their next one will be good. That that's a good. <laughs> they a good they did a made a good for. joint by getting Zack Snyder out of it. Is he officially out now? I think so. I I thought I heard he's still directing right now, but. I know he was kind of running the universe and then they quietly slotted uh um Adam No no something. No, no no it's uh fuck he was running DC comics for a while or he was the editor. Um Ah oh, son of a bitch. 
He did the Blackest Night story for DC, which was like one of their big events where a bunch of people came back from the dead. There's Black Lanterns. And I don't mean Jon Stewart. I mean undead <laughs> uh, lanterns. Um, Jeff Johns. I heard that Jeff Johns is like doing the creative direction for the DC Extended Universe now. So, Well, hopefully they can get it going in the right direction. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, let's see some other. Did you see the Thor video? Oh, it's like the parody of the office. Yeah. (laughs) You basically find out what he's been up to during the whole civil war thing. (laughs) He like, there's a scene where he's like tucking Moliner into bed next to him. (laughs) Yeah. He's basically, he decides to just hang out in Australia and, uh, he gets a roommate. And the roommate seems to like not be thrilled with the guy, but what can you do? Because he's Thor. <laughs> and so they, they show his roommate at one part, like his roommate's cleaning up, and uh, he's vacuuming, and he hits Molnar, and he just looks so irritated because it's just like he can't move it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like you're just gonna have to vacuum around. <laughs> I loved it. And then they even brought in uh uh what's his face, Hulk. Uh uh <clears throat> I'm thinking of every wrong name. Ed Norton, Eric Banna, Bill Bixby, uh <laughs> none of those guys. Mark Ruffalo. That's it. There we go. I just had to work backwards. I even look like him, so it's weird. Yeah, you kinda do. If you like if you could grow curly the, the, hair. The now. uh poster for that uh the fox catcher yeah 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 where he's always have you seen that movie i've never seen that it's one. pretty good like he's in like a wrestling crouch like for a good chunk of the movie he always just moves like a wrestler because he's supposed to be the best wrestler in the world in that it's a pretty good movie man i gotta say it's not funny there's like one or two funny scenes but steve carell just does a really good job of playing like a zoned out like psychotic millionaire billionaire i guess yeah it's, it's it's a pretty good flick but yeah that that ragnarok i i think that's going to be good from from what i understand it seems like it's going to be a buddy cop movie with the hulk and thor like how could that go wrong that that sounds amazing yeah it does <laughs> and i like the idea that like the civil war basically involved all the superheroes except for those two and so I'm guessing we get to see what those two are up to, you know? That makes sense. Like, I like it. I like it a lot. And those are the two that are the most difficult to work in anyway. Yeah. Because Hulk just gets mad and breaks things. So that's sort of difficult to manage, I would imagine. And Thor's a Norse god. Yeah. Lives Thor's on a different a planet. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow can shift between worlds and Avengers. Although, it's, do they ever explain that? He's got his helicopter, he whips around Moliner, and he can helicopter. (laughs) He just helicopters over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, Moliner. Oh, so a little bit more Marvel news. You're going to like this. Did you hear who was brought in to do... uh, So they're, they're doing reshoots on Doctor Strange. You know, they do it on all movies before everybody freaks out. But uh, did you hear who they brought into Penham? Because they're they're thinking that they want to make it a little more humorous. No, Dan Harmon. Yeah, Dan Harmon's gonna pen some scenes for Doctor Strange, so that'll be fun. Hopefully, yeah. Maybe. Hopefully, it's not all weird like <laughs> Suicide Squad and all awkward. But well, it's and Marvel seems to have more of a handle on this thing on this movie thing. Well, it's interesting to think how much. Uh, Dan Harmon has already crossed into the MCU indirectly. How's that? Um, in Community, the the guy who plays the Dean, Jim Rash, mm-hmm. he played the Dean of the MIT that uh, Stark is talking to, or stalking, or he does that whole thing at MIT. Oh yeah, in, yeah. Uh, Civil War, where he's like, he looks like. Robert Downey Jr. a la uh, Weird Science talking yeah. to his parents in the hologram. Yeah. Well, the uh, the dean of the students is the dean in community. Okay. Um, that and I guess they're both 
Captain America movies, but Danny Pudi was in a Captain America Winter Soldier. Who did he play? Uh, he's one of the guys that in uh, that was in Shield, but didn't defect to Hydra. Okay, so just a little ancillary character. Yeah. Okay. Who so was- I thought it's kind of fun that Dan Harmon's get get some more uh, credit out there. I saw a fun video today where um, somebody did like put up, so they did it as a split frame, and on the left side it was the full house intro, and on the right side it was the Avengers, and they did it as like an intro, like done like full house style, <laughs> and it's so funny, dude. Just like everywhere you look, everywhere you look, and they used all these outtakes and stuff, so you see like. <clears throat> Thor giggling and like Black Widow laughing and stuff and then at one point they show the Olsen twins and then they show Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch you know like right <laughs> next to her I'm like that's clever that's why you did the split screen okay I see nice yeah it was pretty fun I mean it's it's dumb but it's it's definitely worth watching one I would rank it up with the growing pains <sighs> walking dead intro did you ever see that? Yeah, one? I saw that one. <laughs> They're like showing all the photos from the first season. They're like, <laughs> show me that smile again. And they're showing all the pictures show of like. Show me that smile. Like they're showing all the pictures of Rick, like happy in, in high school and then smiling in college. And then like just made a police officer. And then they show him beating the shit out of a zombie <laughs> head. <laughs> And then they show like a baby and then like in grade school and then they show Carl and then they show him like beating the shit out of a zombie. (laughs) (laughs) So funny, man. I love, dude, all these people like recut these things with 80s sitcoms. Don't stop. I can't get enough of them. (laughs) I only see a good one every couple of years, but I depend. I know you have to have like 300 bad ones to get a good one. So keep it up. Keep going. Yeah, it's like the thousand monkeys in the room can make Hamlet, right? Shakespeare. Sh- sure. <laughs> Doesn't have to <laughs> the be The completed Hamlet. works of Shakespeare. Is that what it is? I don't really believe that's true unless you're like moving around the type like you're the dude from uh, the number 23 or something. <laughs> I saw, obsessively. I think it was a family gli- guy cutaway and it was doing the thousand monkeys making Shakespeare and it shows like a bunch of monkeys sitting around like smoking cigarettes. A what by other name would not look as sound as beautiful. Uh daffodil? No. Tulip. Let's go with tulip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it would take forever. And for them just to learn to talk. It's a nightmare. <laughs> That's a nightmare. Uh so some other news. Uh so are are you excited about the Star Trek Discovery show or do you even give a shit? I'm just curious. Like it's the one they're gonna throw to the CBS like uh website thing that they're doing. Uh no real care about it. No real care. I kinda care. Like I really want a good Star Trek show. I'm just like itching for it. Um, you know, and what it boils down to is the cause I thought the because I saw a few handful of uh Star Trek Enterprise when it was on, but I don't get to CBS often enough to like watch it on a regular basis, so I couldn't follow Not going to be on CBS. Well, but even... Like, it's going to be a pay service that uh, CBS does, you know, so if you have like a Roku or a PlayStation 4 or whatever, you can watch it. Yeah. So or the I'm, internet. So I'm probably not going to watch it. Yeah. I'm, I'm but, in, and I'm excited... Until I see that it sucks. <laughs> like, like, if I see that it sucks, um, I'm just, I don't know. I'm bummed out. But they got the guy who did Hannibal, so I'm kind of excited about that. Because I feel like he tends to do like a darker, grittier kind of tone. Which would be interesting for Star Trek, because that's kind of what Deep Space Nine is. But I think not done in shitty 90s style. Yeah, see, that's part of why I I so lost touch with um, Star Trek after a while because there was so much shit. Yeah, and like I thought, Deep Space Nine, I couldn't care less. 
I gotta say I've like revisited about, some of it and like it's actually pretty good, but it is hard. To, like I, being older now, I'm picking up on the themes that I didn't pick up on yeah, when I was in middle school. That might be something that. But it's hard, man, because it's like cheap '90s special effects. That's yeah. kind of hard to get. Past. And then I thought Voyager was garbage. It's not good. <laughs> no, I watched it for seven and nine. Yeah. What was that? What are you doing there, Brandon? <laughs> Ew, what's this? <laughs> Our Brandon became a man today. <laughs> yeah, it was a good... Although, um, uh, I'll get back to Voyager in a minute. But uh, Enterprise, like, I kind of enjoyed. But I started watching on Netflix and I was just like, oh, this is not good. Because I only watch like a few episodes here and there, but it's just not that good. Um, but this one I have kind of hopes for. Here's what we know about it so far, okay? We know it's in the old timeline. So, like, they name the timelines, and I'm not enough of a nerd where I can tell you what it is. But the whole Star Trek reboot with Abrams thing, that's not this. Like, this is on the other timeline before the Romulan fucked it all up. So this takes place between Enterprise and Star Trek The Next Generation. So we know the time the time it's in. Um, or no, between Star Trek The Original Series okay. and Next Generation. So it's... Because it's, there's like a hundred years. So it's like around Generations-ish. Maybe. No, no, it's before that. It's before that. It's, it's No, like... Because didn't... Wasn't Generations supposedly like I'm trying. I'm thinking. Of, I'm talking about the movie Star Trek Generations, right, right. the one that had both the original crew and mm-hmm. Next Generation. Well, that's that's at the latter end. Oh, so you're talking about the beginning of Generations? Yeah, possibly. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere, somewhere from like the original series to Next Generation. That's all we know for sure. So yeah, it could be right in that time. Yeah, yeah maybe Sulu's like. Maybe we see what Sulu was up to during that. When George Takei wouldn't do that movie because they demoted him to a like a crewman or something. And he was just like, no, fuck this. My guy's a captain now. Isn't that like weird? Isn't that a weird argument to have? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> not. I'm not criticizing Takei on this particular front. I kind of I work through it and I get where he's coming from. But it's weird that they just insist on like Sulu not being a captain anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a weird thing. And it might be racially charged. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them, honestly. So uh, I could see why Takei might get upset about that. But anyway, uh, back to what I was trying to talk about. So so we know the timeline of it. Uh, we know that the showrunner, he wants to do 10-hour-long episodes. Now, that's not for sure, but that's what he wants to do. So he wants to do like a Game of Thrones style season structure. So right away I'm like, that's a good idea. Like don't do a ton of episodes. I I would say I like that better than the half hour format. Yeah, because Star Trek at its best is so good and its worst is so boring. Yeah. And there's when you when you go through like a season of Star Trek, I would say there's usually 10 good episodes and 12 blah episodes. Yeah. That's usually my opinion. Um, like typically just averaging all the series together. Let me put it that way. So like making it 10 and spending more time on those 10, that seems like a really good idea to me. Yeah. And it just seemed like the, the half hour formats, they had a hard time really flushing out the plot. Oh, it's never been half hour. They've always done an hour for Trek. Has it? Uh, except for the animated series. Was that what you're thinking of? <laughs> I always thought those were half hour episodes. The Star Trek animated was, but regular Trek is an hour. I could prove it to you on Netflix I, after this if you want. I believe you on that. Yeah, I figured you would. I'm a slightly I don't feel like a, nerd. I don't feel like I'd want to fight that. Yeah, I'm such a Trekkie nerd that I use the term Trekker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Fuck that term. Anyway, um, we know that the main character is supposed to be a human female referred to as number one. Not seven of nine. She's not a captain. 
Well, so that <laughs> that makes me wonder, like, does that mean she's the first officer? Because number one in Next Generation, that's what he always referred to Riker as, was like, take a shot of him, number one. Right? Yeah. So that kind of makes me wonder... Like what are, is it is it like the first officer is it like a like a grunt in the crew somewhere like I just don't know that's that's interesting to me though because they're already taking a different angle they've got a different format and it's not on TV so they don't have to worry about ratings so much you know it's just more about like putting out something they enjoy it's about content yeah. Like, it's about content that's there that'll drive people to the site. And I do think if there's a Trek thing, it's going to drive people there. So, I, I have hopes it'll be good. But if it's garbage, I'll let you know. <laughs> and if it's good, I'll have you over to watch one if you care. So, but uh, that's all I really got. Did you have anything else you want to talk about? That's all I got. All right. So, take it easy. Every intro without interrupting it. Oh, thank God you respected that outro. <laughs> I don't actually have debates on my show. It's called That's Debatable. But I don't really have an affirmative or negative debate, really. It's not a win or loss kind of debate. The way that I've organized the show is to kind of try to talk about arguments um, as opposed to having any one argument in particular. I think talking about arguments is a fun way to have an argument. You're kind of arguing with people as opposed to necessarily against them. A Not Safe for Network podcast. You take that OD, you drink it down to the label. Yeah. You uh, get yourself a funnel from a gas station. <laughs> uh, you then pour sauce in up to where the, the malt just liquor started. Fill her back up. Mm-hmm. So you got yourself a little bit of a buzz on because you just drank about a third of a bottle of malt liquor. Put it inside yourself. Mm-hmm. Experience what we just had the absolute privilege mm-hmm. of experiencing in such a thickening. Yeah. I don't see any way that anyone's ever going to regret this. Yeah. We had a good life. When Wilford Brimley is telling you that that's what he's going to do, you're like, oh, wow, it must be aliens. It's totally because the mustache. Yeah, yeah, believe the mustache, because when he is in the thing and he is missing the mustache. Bad news. There's something about him that's not Something's right, and the characters pick off. up on it right away, and they lock him away. <laughs> you know, the plot suggests it's for other reasons, but he is a man that should have a mustache, and when he doesn't, it codes for strangeness. And just all-around wrongness and weirdness. The Alien Movie Project. Hi, I'm Biggs. Check out my podcast, Biggs on Film, where I do insightful commentaries on films that you love. Uh, Gort the Robot, they call him Newt. Yeah, Newt. Like like he's uh, Norwe- like, Norwegian. Yeah, <laughs> he's mostly Norwegian. Mostly. The two fancy skeletons in the back are the worst. Dude. I know, they're the best. <laughs> like, it's no wonder they lost this battle. <laughs> That's a gross-looking punching bag. Dude, oh, I'd yeah, be that worried punching... about getting Seminilla punching that bag. I think he might have... Given that punching bag salmonella. Well, every now and then it's insightful. Find us on iTunes.